This is Rough Drafts Welcome, the podcast where you can mess up, and we can too. I'm Sachiko. And I'm Erin. And together with the editors at Salt and Sage Books, we're changing the face of storytelling one rough draft at a time. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, Sachiko. How are you doing this morning? Hello, Erin. Ohayo gozaimasu. I'm doing really well. I'm so happy to see you. I love your hair. Thanks. It's such a pretty, it's a beautiful color. It's thank you, Overtone. (laughs) Amen. I tried to use Overtone. My hair's too dark. It's like, what? What color? Your hair's just brown. (laughs) It's a beautiful, curly brown. Thank you. I mean, I'm a fan of my hair. Um, Okay. Today, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. I mean, hopefully, maybe we'll see. Sometimes we say like, it's going to be short, and then it's not. Uh, We're going to talk about how to organize your edits. I'm excited about this one because there are so many cool ways to organize your edit. So I think let's talk about sensitivity reading first, like how you organize it. And then I'll share a couple of the other ways that I've seen people do it. And then we can talk about how you organize like a developmental edit, a line edit, a proofread. We can go over those ones as well. But let's start with sensitivity. How do you organize the edit? All right. So here's the way I like to do sensitivity reading for manuscripts. So written as opposed to people who are like, you know, in game dev or Mm -hmm. something else. So it's just, it's a book. It's generally a book. So what I like to do first is I go through the manuscript. I say hi to the client in the manuscript. And then I react to things in the manuscript as I read them. Because I think that that initial reaction, especially if you're a sensitivity reader, okay, I should back up. Let me preface this. When it comes to sensitivity reading, Sensitivity reading encompasses several kinds of editing. So you're doing like a proofreading level, like micro level, where it's like, that's that's not the correct word. The, the correct Japanese term that people would use is this. Yeah. So there's copy editing, like, oh, I think you need to check the history on that one. And there's developmental where you're addressing why is your character in this situation? Socioeconomically, the Japanese American community tends to have this kind of situation. So just so FYI, this is going to pop up to Japanese American readers who are going to have some questions about why this choice was made narratively. Mm -hmm. So as I go through, I'm just noting the issues. And I like to note as many good as I note possibly problematic. I just want people to know when I'm reading through their piece that I'm really there. I'm involved. I'm noticing everything. And I think that those initial reactions, even just emotional reactions of ouch or, oh, that's great. That's so funny. I think that emotional reactions are good data for them because as a sensitivity reader, I'm providing them with like a one person market survey. Like this is intense feedback so that you know what's hitting well and what's hitting painfully. I love the way that you phrase it, that it's market feedback because it, it pulls it to the very end point of this, right? Is that if I'm writing a book that contains Japanese American characters, I want it to reach Japanese American people and readers. And when they read it, I want them to be like, ah, yes. So you are the first line of defense. A lot of people approach it like, ooh, I don't want to get canceled. But really it's about, have you written something that is going to like hit home with yes. your intended audience? Yes, and I'm not there. Y'all, if you're my client, you're coming in, you're having me read through your story that has a Japanese American character or setting or whatever. Um, I'm not there to cancel you. Do you know how excited I am that there's a Japanese American story? Like, 
push it in my eyeballs. I want to read it. I want to be a part of it. And I can't, what I'm hoping for as a sensitivity reader is I'm hoping that I have found something new that I can share with my kids and I can share with my friends and I can recommend to the people I'm on social media. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not there to cancel you at all. I want to help you put your story's best foot forward. And if you know the things that I'm finding painful, you get to decide because this is your work. It's your project. You can decide, okay, is this a pain point I need to keep in or that I want to keep in? Or is this something I want to adjust? Yeah. It helps you consider your impact in like a more focused way. Yeah. I I mean, I'm giving you data. You decide what you're going to do with it. Yes. So once I have made all of these initial reactions in my edit letter, I start off with saying, hey, how you doing? Here's what I loved about your story. There's almost, there's so many things I can find. And I love getting to tell people the things that I love about their work. I think everybody needs this. I agree. And 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 there's a weird thing about sensitivity reading too that I've noticed is that because it requires so much emotional labor, it also, the, the side effect of all that emotional investment is that I get super enthusiastic about the project too. Because well, I'm, I'm so invested focused. in it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that's exciting. And then, and then I go over, um, here are the possible issues that you, you may want to look at. And then I just start um, pulling the things that I noted in my initial read through of the manuscript. And I add more. So that, for instance, if you brought me a manuscript and I was reading for Japanese American authenticity, mm-hmm. and I noted that you had kind of an unusual name. Or a, or a name that hasn't really been used much by Japanese Americans or Japanese people since like 1920, which, hi, that's when Sachiko was popular, was like 1920. Um, I will just give a brief overview. Here's some information on names. Here's some possible options if you need that, especially if the client has asked for that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I will, once I have listed all of these things and I've gone through everything and, and, and I've given the client well, I should back up again. Hi, I'm NeuroSpicy. You're good. This is great. My goal for my clients is that I don't ever want to just say that hurts. Mm-hmm. I want to say, here's what hurts about it and why. So something that comes up a lot in Japanese American sensitivity reading is there's almost, there's very commonly some kind of reference to Godzilla, a nuclear monster, a nuclear bomb, nuclear holocaust. And, and sometimes it can be a little glib at first. It's a little I, wild to me, like how often it shows up. Once you pointed it out, I was like, I'm seeing this like everywhere. Yes. I, and I think that in people's, I mean, and it makes sense because, you know, the U.S. dropped two nuclear bombs on the sovereign nation of Japan in World War II. So now for a lot of us, when we think nuclear bomb, we also think Japan, right? Okay. So... It's, it's not totally unexpected that it would sometimes come together in a book. And especially if somebody is approaching Japanese and Japanese American culture at, from the outside, from not being part of the community, where that is the most salient part. Nuclear, it's mm-hmm. cherry blossoms. Right. Like exactly. Nuclear things, cherry but, blossoms. Yeah. Exactly. So um, that's a fine place to start. It's a fine place to start. Start where you are, like start where you are and that's okay. And there are ways to do it well. Mm-hmm. Like in a given story, sometimes even just the addition of a few additional lines of narration yes. or dialogue on the part of a, of a character can turn a problematic thing, a, a thing from problematic to 
just noting and witnessing how hard something is, but still yeah. providing like a feeling of being seen mm -hmm. and comforted for Japanese and Japanese American readers. Like, it, it's not that you're not allowed to have that in your story. It's how you have it in your story. And that's why a sensitivity reader is so crucial, because they can analyze the how. And so yes. much of it is context specific. Yes. So basically, you know, I'm going to be your friend and I'm going to explain to you, you know, this is a really sensitive topic and here's why it's so sensitive. Mm -hmm. And because you as the writer, I can't always tell you what to do. I can't say, well, just take it out of your story. That isn't always the right answer. And it's not the only answer. But as the writer, because you are the creator and you know all the different You've got all of these uh, parts of your story in your mind that I don't have. I'm only seeing one iteration of it. If I give you that information, here's why it's painful. Here is a great way that somebody else has approached this really painful subject. You're going to be able to incorporate that into your project better than I ever can. So my goal is, is just to give, not to say that's racist, but to say, this is racist for these reasons and here's how and here is another example and here's where you can learn more about it and here's an example of it being done well and here's possibly some further steps you can take yes because the whole point is just knowing okay what is working and what isn't and why is it not working yeah that why to me is so 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 crucial because yes. i mean like you can get um beta readers for example like i've seen a lot of people go and they get beta readers who are people of color who are people of their desired audience and mm -hmm. um they can beta readers are really really good in my experience at telling you what isn't working but it's not really in the purview of a beta read to explain to you why it isn't working or to give you suggestions on how to improve it Yes. Okay. So to recenter us back on your edit letters, you've read the letter, you've given positive feedback, you've told them what they've done really well. What? Next? Yes. And and then I I note what needs to change or what I think could use a lot of help. Sometimes I'll use a red, yellow, green. So mm -hmm. the most important issue, the most painful issue, where it's like this. Please don't move forward without taking a second look at this issue. Here's resources. I will note that in red. I'll literally highlight it. Yeah. Yellow are, will be things like, uh, this isn't great. Take a second look. Green, I think this is fine as is. I think it's great Do right now. Do you highlight them in the text with those colors? I don't. I know some people who have. I want to make sure. The reason I don't, and I could, but I don't because I want to spend the majority of my time providing more thoughtful verbal emotional support in the edit letter instead of spending that amount of time going back through and color coding my highlights in yeah. in the manuscript ideally because of the way i write and revise i'm not going to have the patience to always go through the manuscript i want to give people the option to just take the edit letter and have it all contained yeah. in the edit letter it's just in a neat little box mm -hmm. Even if they never picked up the manuscript again, they have all of the info that they need for the ne their next revision. They're not forced to go back through their entire... I was going to say, I feel like you are very revision focused. Like, um, like I've seen some of the letters that you do, like you will pull a specific quote or you yes. will reference like a page number or something or reference a chapter that is specifically like, okay, this is the particular line that I need you to go back and look at. Or if it's over a big section, you'll be like, the entirety of chapters four, five, and nine, like need, need a closer look. But it gives, like as a, as a writer, 
I love receiving feedback like that because it makes it really easy. It's like, it's a super accessible thing that I don't then have to sit down and organize your feedback to figure out yes. how I want to approach it. So I know that that's, that's like a big way that you edit is that you're very focused on the end experience for the author that you make it really easy for them to take just your letter and revise it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That was perfectly put. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I've seen, I really like the red, the red, uh, red, yellow, green one. Um, we often get those. I've had people actually send us like a spreadsheet, like a Google spreadsheet where they're like, can you please just tell me like, here's the red stuff. Tell me like the page number or the specific line. Tell me what your concern is. And then maybe give me a suggestion to and, like, that's just how they want their feedback. And like, that's fine. You can send that to your editor and be like, this is how, if you will, please just organize your feedback this way. And they didn't want an editor's letter because they found them very overwhelming. We've had yes. some clients who have been like, please just give me so much inline feedback. Like I do all of my editing in line and that would be really helpful for me to have all of the action items right there. So I can just check, 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 check. And when we say inline feedback, I mean like on Google Docs, you would highlight and then you make a comment and it's in the right. little bubble. Or when you're in Word, um, you highlight and then you have to be in like the editing tab, but then you can add a, I don't remember what it's called. Is it a comment in Word as well? An inline, it, it's, it's a little speech bubble. You click that thing. And so some people prefer one or the other and it really depends like as the writer, it depends, you need to know what you like, you need to know, you know, what you prefer and then you can just request that your editor do it that way. Um, but often we get people who are like, I don't know what kind of feedback I want. This is the first time I've done it. So your particular way where like you reference specific pieces, um, a lot of our editors do it like that. Some of them will, there's one editor in particular I'm thinking of who um, doesn't make inline comments and instead only works on the editor's letter. And the bulk of the editor editor's letter from this particular editor is like the quote and then feedback, and then the quote, and then feedback. So their editor's letters are like 30 pages long sometimes because they're giving they're giving inline feedback, quote unquote, but it is in the actual editor's letter. Um, right. Let's see, how else do people do it? I've seen some, some where they'll say like, what works super well, and then they always, you always wanna start with what works really well. They'll talk about what worked really well, and then they'll say um, things that, could be better. It's that same like sort of thing, things that could be better, but didn't necessarily pull me out of the story, list those things. Sometimes they're in yes. like the bullet points. Sometimes they're in paragraph format. Sometimes you include quotes. Sometimes you don't up to you. And then at the end usually is where they'll put the like, okay, here are the main concerns that I have. I have seen some editors who actually flip it and they put the main concerns at the very top. They're like, here's the thing that like, I need you to know right off the bat is concerning. If you do that, I would recommend that you preface with another paragraph. That's like, I'm starting with this big thing, but I need you to know you did other stuff really well too. It's just further down. So here is a really good point that Aaron has brought up is um, I usually structure my edit, my editing letters, my sensitivity read letters as though I'm sitting at the, the author's kitchen table with them mm -hmm. for a few hours and just carefully going over things and explaining things in detail. However, however, if you or I, if I am doing a sensitivity read for a publisher, totally different. Oh, yeah. Just like Aaron describes, a publisher, they just need to know action items. Mm -hmm. They just need to know. So I start off with, here's who you are. Here's what the book is for. It's the title of the book. It's the name of the publishing company or the person who's handling that part of the edit. My name. Um, and Treat then it I much more like a business letter, like with the header where it's like 
It's a thick yes. header where you're like listing and all of less the things. Less is more. They just need to know here, I found like whether or not I found yeah. items that were problematic. Mm -hmm. They don't need all of my gushing over what works at all. So for them, for a publisher, I just name the issues that need to be looked at. And then after I have named them, after that, I will go into detail. Here was what was problematic here so that they have the opportunity to share that with the author that they're working with or not. Yeah. If they, because, and usually a publisher will come back with, these are the changes, are they okay? And all they need is me to go, is, is to sign off with, okay. Yeah. So Those look good. Check. Yes. Rubber stamping. Yeah, so well, we we can talk about rubber stamping. It's not really rubber stamping. It's did we address the issue that you brought up in such a way that you feel like the issue is like resolved? It's not yes. really, it's not a rubber stamp. We'll have to talk about rubber stamps. Oh. Well, and that's part of the structure for these, these editing letters um, at Salt and Sage. And this is what I have taken on as in my freelance with my own LLC. I do this with that too, because it's such a great idea. Um, we specify upfront in the contract that there's an edit and then the client can have one round of questions, not too long. And then we have one round of answers. Yep. So it's great to structure things in that way. So it's a limited conversation, but it's very in depth to begin with mm -hmm. because usually a client will be like, well, so I'm going to fix it like this. Does that work? Sure. Yeah. And then you can, yeah. Yep. And yeah, that's sometimes, a good I mean, sometimes the fixes are really small fixes. Like, I mean, like you can add like a line or two, right? And then, Ta-da, look at that. The fix has been made. Sometimes it requires like a like a more serious overhaul. Um, and yes. in those cases, we often have clients come back and they are like, okay, I did like a massive amount of reworking. Will you read it again? And then that you hire them for a second, for a second. Yeah, that's really correct. And gosh, we love mm -hmm. it when those clients, we just, I want to hug them whenever they come back. They're like, I've made revisions. I'm like, yay, you're back. We love you well, so much. You're good people. You're good people. Yes. Yeah. Basically, basically, I structure my edits so that I, I am a good fit for somebody who wants a lot of feedback and a lot of emotional support. Mm -hmm. A yep. lot of that kind of involvement. Well, and your yeah. bio, like the way that you pitch yourself, is very that way. And I think that mm -hmm. honestly, I think that bios are an underused tool to like explain to people the way yes. that you approach things. I think they're really important. So th that's a variety of ways to talk about sensitivity reading. I One of the things that we've done at Salt and Sage to try to make it um, less stressful to begin an edit is that we have templates. And mm -hmm. I find them, I mean, I know like I helped make them, but I find them so, so helpful because they'll say mm -hmm. at the beginning, like we have, a, and like if I was freelancing on my own, I would make these for myself where I would say like the date goes here, client name goes here, this is what the introduction paragraph should probably contain, this is da 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 da, and then these are the issues that we're gonna address. Um, with sensitivity reading, I think it's really important to offer, um, I don't wanna say like correction necessarily, but suggestions, or at least to point them in a direction, to point the author in a direction, where you can mm -hmm. say like, this is concerning, and I think that if you, you might want to consider doing X, Y, Z, or you may want to look a little, like look at these research articles that I'm gonna link to, or whatever it happens to be. Um, we often get a lot of research things. There's one particular editor who gosh, you know exactly who I'm thinking of too, where they provide um, a, like they have a separate document that they attach to all of their edits that is like a, here are the stereotypes that are really common. 
here are really mm-hmm. solid articles and like book recommendations. And here is like some things to be concerned about, like the tropes that show up within it. And regardless of whether or not the piece has those things in it, this editor attaches that as well. And then has a paragraph um, in the beginning. This is like, I've also included like as a free resource, this little thing that can like help you dig a little deeper when you feel ready to do it. All of the things might not apply to you, but here you go, you have it. Partly because they were sending the same resource over and over and over and over again to the point where they were like, forget it, I'm just making. So it's just a separate document. It's a little PDF. They, it's magical. It is That's magical. Amazing. Any client who gets that, I know you are lucky. so lucky. You are so lucky. Mm-hmm. So lucky. Because you're benefiting from everybody else too. That yes. is amazing. It's brilliant, yeah. right? So like they've just kept track of all the resources and what they're really good for. And then they just, here you go, here it is. So um, a lot of resources, I think it's really good to, I think resources and links and books, like places where you can say, hey client, I know you mean well, this isn't working. Here's the direction I would say to go to work on fixing it and understanding it in more depth. Like that's that can be really powerful and very empowering to the client too. Um, yes. Let's. Do you have anything else you wanna say about sensitivity reads? I wanna be mindful of time and yeah, we'll talk just- about the other edits too. I mean, there we all have ways that we work, but the ultimate goal is just to make sure that people get the information that they need in a way they're, where they're able to take it in. So that's all. That's that's whatever works. Yep. Do what works for you. Yep. And it has to be a process that is sustainable for you. Like yes. the way that you write edit letters, I can't do because I, I just I'm not an extrovert in the same way that you are. Um, but the way that I write edit letters, edit letters would probably make you feel like crying. So like you have, you figure out what works for you and it doesn't make you a bad editor if you do it differently than someone else. It just makes you, you. And that's good. That's good. Okay. So let's talk about developmental editing. Yes. Uh, I love dev editing so much. And I think it's, it's the next most complicated one. So the way that we've organized it at Salt and Sage, because we have like a couple different levels of developmental editing of like how much we tried to make it really accessible price-wise, so we made some lower options that just, they are less in-depth, but you still get really good feedback. Um, so we made a list when we were very first starting this of what are the things that we address in, in a developmental edit. Like we look at character arcs, we look at world building, we look at plot holes, we look at emotional resonance, we look at deep point of view, we look at regular point of view to like see if there are any point of view slips. We talk about like timelines, we talk about, I don't even know, all of the things, right? Setting, um, world building, everything. I may have repeated myself, but <laughs> my brain was like, I may have repetitioned. We may have repeated ourselves. Um, so we made a great big list of like all the things and then we pared them down to like, so if you, if you get a deluxe developmental edit from Salt and Sage, you get all the things. If you do like a deep developmental edit, you get most of the things. And we tried to pare it down to the point where we're like, what is like the most crucial stuff for editors and for writers to understand about their piece? And we kept those as like our base. And then just, we stacked other things on. And that if you get that deluxe developmental edit, I mean, you're getting feedback on like the pros that you're using and someone is going like really in depth about this is the world building that you've done. And like, I see this one particular thing and you may want to consider that the, I don't know, subtropical biome that you've used might also have additional flora and like you're getting like real, like 
like like fan fiction level feedback. I don't know how to, it is, it's fan fiction level feedback where someone is like, they've really dug in and they've looked at all of the things and they're recommending stuff like with deep point of view and yeah, emotional resonance and blah, blah. So the way that we organize those is that, I mean, it's literally, it's the template that I was talking about earlier, but we've done it really intentionally where we start kind of big picture and then you go, you get into like the more detailed. Um, and so in those ones, I just say like, hi, here's what I loved about your piece. I'm so excited to talk with you about it. Um, and then I, I liked it for me. I like to include something along the lines of the scene that I keep thinking about or the mm -hmm. character who I cannot get out of my head. And there's always one of them. This is like, this is the particular part of your book that I just fell in love with. And then, so I include that and I try to make my whole first page talking about how much I really enjoyed the edit. And I want to be really clear. Don't lie to your clients. Don't lie to them. <laughs> if you yeah. struggled with the piece, you don't want to come out and be like, this was the worst book I've ever read in my whole life. That's not helpful. Your goal as an editor is to be helpful in my mind. Your goal is to be helpful. So even if I really struggled with the piece or if it's not my favorite or whatever it happens to be, I find something that is true that I can honestly say. Because even in those pieces that I had a hard time with, I mm -hmm. still have that one scene that just keeps playing in my head or I have that one character who I just feel like was so good. Or I can say like, like the maybe, maybe like I've texted you this before. I've been like, this piece is not doing it for me personally, but that's okay. Just because I'm not the ideal reader doesn't mean I can't give feedback on it. Right. And, and then I'll come back and be like, but oh my gosh, I love this author's like descriptions. The way they talk about stuff is just so beautiful. Like people get into writing because they love it. And I feel like that love shines through always. Yes. There's always something to appreciate about a piece, even if it's not your favorite thing you've ever read. This is what I love the most about, because I, I'm a developmental editor too at Salt and Sage Books. And I love it because of all of that emotional presence. I think that developmental editing if your piece needs a developmental edit, there is nothing that more exemplifies the idea of rough drafts welcome. I love yeah. nothing more than getting my teeth into a rough manuscript. I don't care about your spelling. I love it. I don't too. care if you have little narrative rat trails that lead to nowhere. That's fine. Let's talk like big ideas and world building and what you want to do next. I love that collaborative energy. You're you know? so good at the world building stuff too. I like um I like the characters more than I like the world building. And so like, if you want like world building help, if you bring me like your massive, like your, your, I can't think of what it's called, your epic fantasy, I'm probably not the best editor for that, but you are. You are <laughs> the best editor for that because you that world building stuff just lights you up. I have a hard time like keeping track of all the pieces because that's how my particular, I mean, that's how my brain works. It's harder for me to like, it, it's hard for me to keep track. Um, okay, anything else about dev editing? I wish that more people got dev edits because they're yeah. so fun and they're so helpful too. Here's where it helps you. It helps you before you hit the copy edit process, guys. Bring in your rough story. If it feels like if something is holding you up, even if the story is unfinished, like it's a great time to bring in a de developmental editor. Figure out what it is that's holding you up. What is the roadblock? Did it start in chapter one because you didn't establish 
something about your world's currency or sociopolitical structure? Is it because your character arc isn't based in wounds and payoffs? I mean, this is something, this is an opportunity for somebody to help you on a deep level. It does not have to be polished. Bring it in rough and early. I've actually started to book developmental edits whenever I get stuck. That mm. like I have a piece right now that I'm working on that is I mean I'm about 13,000 words in so I'm not like super super far but like I'm in there and I'm stuck. I've written myself into a corner and I don't I've reread it like five times now and tried to find like where was it that I but I don't know I can't figure it out and so I have a developmental editor booked for this particular piece actually for next week um, where she's going to read through it and she's going to be like oh yeah I see why you're stuck. It's right here. This is the moment. Because I know she's going to be able to pinpoint it because I'm way too close. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's an underused thing. I wish more people did it. And I wish people brought in their stuff um, earlier. Like, I wish that they knew that they didn't have to, like, it doesn't have to be done. Yeah, no, we're a pediatrician for your story, baby. If your story, baby, is sick, let's just check it out. Come on, we can do this. Let us we can do it you. together. Yes. Okay, so that's developmental edit. And then... Um, Line edits are a little different because you are doing most of your feedback in text. You're doing it in line. You're making corrections and suggestions in line. Um, the way that I approach line editing is that I always look for, is there anything in this sentence that is making my brain hesitate? So mm -hmm. I actually, I will either read it out loud or I use the Microsoft Word's like voice thingy to read it out loud to me. And then often I'll just sit there and I'll close my eyes and I'm like, oh, okay, hang on. That felt confusing. Or hold on, I didn't, I needed to move this piece up here. And for me, it's a process of let's reorganize the specific words that you have so that they give the meaning that you want in a way that is the most clear possible. And then as I'm doing that, um, I, and again, I've already said before, like I do way too much work on line editing. Like I am the problem child line editor because I do too much. <laughs> Um, for, to be clear, problem child, like to my other editor friends, but I'm like, look what I'm doing. They're like, Aaron, no, um, my clients love it and I love it. So whatever, it's fine. It's fine. But as long as it's mutually consensual. I mean, it is so, but as, as we're going, or as I'm reading through and I'm making note, I'm starting to notice patterns in like the ling linguistic structure. So for example, I did one where I was like, you have these sentences that are really, really, really long and they're technically correct. They're just really long. And I'm noticing that you do it specifically when you want us to understand an emotional point. And so like being able to say like, here's what I'm saying. So that's what my editor's letter looks like with those ones. I say like, here are the, like, the, the linguistic patterns that I've noticed with you. And I also keep track of like, um, I always make a style sheet of like uh, capitalization and spelling, things along those lines. And then for proofreads, I honestly don't do a ton of proofreads, but the ones that I do, those editor's letters are really pretty short. Um, I try to also include a style sheet with those. My very favorite thing in the world is when a client comes to get a proofread and they attach a style sheet. Oh, thank you so much. Because then we can just make sure that everything fits and it all makes sense. And with, um, with proofreads, I always do, uh, like, I mean, use the tools that you have in front of you. Use spell check. Double check everything. I run spell check at the beginning and also at the end whenever I do a proofread because then I can go through and say, like, oh, yep, you're right, comma, 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 comma. And I let the computer do what it can do. And then I put, I put it through my brain and, you know, double check that it all works really well. 
Um, and then as far as beta reading, the way that Salt and Sage has uh, tacked this in is we consider it like a very bottom level developmental edit, like the most baseline. So we treat it a lot like a developmental edit. And I feel like a beta read is like if you were to get like the equivalent of a book review from an editor. That's the yes. way that, yeah, that's how I think of them. So I always, um, and again, we have a template, but the way that I like to do it is I always talk about like the things that I really, really, really loved. Um, my least favorite character. I talk about if I ever got bored in the yeah. book. And where. And yeah. where in the book, like where it started to feel kind of slow to me. I talk about if the book made me laugh out loud, if it made me cry, if I ever felt so angry that I wanted to throw the book, I include yes. all of those like intense emotional reactions. And I also talk about, um, I, I love this particular one. I'm very proud of myself for coming up with it. But the idea of, I always tell the author, if you were to delete one scene or one chapter or one character or one subplot or whatever, if you were to delete something, this is what I would suggest that you get rid of. And I, I, I love getting that kind of feedback as an author because then I can be like, oh yeah, like what is this actually? Like how is this supporting my plot? So yes, that's how I do it. Um, and I mean, it depends which way you lean. Um, I personally like longer, I like writing longer editor's letters. I know you do too. Um, I lean more heavily on the inline feedback than you do. Uh, mm -hmm. It kind of just depends what you like as an editor and as an author you know you should tell your if you know what you like as an author tell your tell your editor please and guys erin is a really good she's a really good line editor Thank you. she's great if you can get her you're lucky it's true i am pretty booked i yes. am pretty booked yep. i mean so are you <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay um well is there anything else that we wanted to say about how you organize edits I feel like we've maybe said all of it. I think the most important thing is if you are an editor, figure out what works best for you. Like think mm -hmm. about what are the three things that set you apart from other editors? What are the three things that you love the most about editing? Yeah. For me, I love giving personal encouragement. And so I want to give encouragement in a way that educates. And so I want to structure my edits in a way where I can be personally and emotionally present and educating people. And, and so my style comes out of that. And if you're a client, think about what it is that connects with you. What helps you, what helps motivate you in making revisions? What is the best way for you to receive correction? And be honest about it. Find someone who's a good fit for what it is that you need. If you want somebody, if you need a brief edit that has no emotional involvement, I can try. I am not your best I'm not your best bet. I'm I know not. exactly who I would recommend, though. If someone's like, I yeah. really just want action points. I'm like, cool. I know exactly who to set you up with. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So keep looking. Look for the good fit. A lot of really good writers out there and a lot of very successful authors, they have editors. They have their go-to people. And that is who they always return to for their work because they know how to work with them. Yep. So figure out what it is you need. Yep. And then find the editor who can give that to you. And mm -hmm. it's really okay to shop around too. Oh, it's yeah. okay to work with one editor and then be like, mm, that didn't really vibe with me. I'm going to find someone else. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. There are so many of us. And honestly, I don't know any editor who would be like, how dare they? Every single editor I know would be like, good. I'm so glad they're finding someone who's a better fit. I, oh, yeah. Like everyone I wants you to have a good fit. I have one more thought. Go. And this is something Aaron taught me and that... Um, I now share with people. So thank it? you very much, Erin. 
The thought is, especially if you're getting a sensitivity read, if you're a client, but any edit, it can be really hard to get correction, even correction you have asked for and that you are paying for. And so once you get an edit, like take care of yourself emotionally, oh, give yourself yeah. a calm moment to read the stuff mm. and then just let it sit. Because the way you feel about an edit right after receiving it, maybe is not how you're gonna feel in two weeks. And some people, when I've talked to authors, some of the hardest edits to go through and to receive end up being the most useful for them oh, yet. Yeah. I so, actually, yeah. I am this person where I am so incredibly tender skinned. It's, it's very, very, very hard for me to get feedback about my stuff, even if I desperately want it. Even mm -hmm. if I desperately want it, it's all tied up in childhood trauma. It's great. Um, I actually, the routine that I have now is that I get the edit and I can be all business about that. I can be like, okay, here are my concerns. Here are the things. Da, da, da. When it comes time for me to read it, I cannot. I can't. Like, it makes me want to cry. So actually, when I get the edits back, I forward them unread to my critique partner. And I'm like, hey, will you read this and tell me how much emotional space I need to be able to process the feedback that they've given me? And she's wonderful where she's, she's like, oh my gosh, yes, let me read it like right now. So she reads it. Often she'll like literally read it on her phone and then text me and be like, this is a zero out of 10. You're worried over nothing. Or sometimes she'll say like, give yourself like a week. Um, there's some really good feedback in here. And usually what she'll say is like, there's some feedback about this one particular scene that you and I talked about. And I'm like, well, I want to know what the feedback is. And something about having her reading it with me makes mm -hmm. like it takes all the scariness out of it for me. Mm -hmm. And then I can do it. And then I can go in and read it because what I've actually found is that like when I've entered my stuff in like contests um, and then, you know, you get feedback from it. I if I read the feedback as soon as I get it, I am not retaining any of it. It is not entering. The only thing I see is the one piece of criticism they had. I completely missed the fact that they were like, wow, this was like revolutionary. I've never read so. I miss all the good stuff. I'm only seeing like the one criticism. And then this literally happened where I got the thing. I opened up the feedback. I read through like one section of feedback. I saw someone say like uh, the pacing was slow or something like that. And like I could not. I could not. And I put it away for literally six months found it again, opened it up and was like, oh yeah, I remember like they were so mean about my pacing and I reread it and the sentence actually said something like the pacing was a little bit slow, but then I realized why the pacing was slow here and it made everything else make so much. It was actually a compliment. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. This and, like, is what I'm I've been beating myself up over it for six months for absolutely no reason. So like, I, I know for me, I have to have someone else with me to do it. So this is the other, it's too hard. the other end of structuring edits. you got to structure how you read your edit too. You deserve support, mm -hmm. beloveds. You do. Yes, you do. So get yourself some support. Amen. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty much, this This was not a short one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you have just, anything else? Any any closing arguments? Do we structure how we're going to edit this podcast episode? I think that we're just going to let it be. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it. This is a rough draft. We're done. <laughs> rough draft right. is good enough. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> well, thanks for chatting with me. We'll thanks see you next time. Bye-bye. This has been Rough Drafts Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Got any questions? We would love to hear them. Got a complaint? We'll hear it too. Yep. Leave us a five-star review. 
Property Police, and thank you. And if you want to book with Salt and Sage Books or learn anything else about what we do, or if you want to work with us or take our courses or blah, 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 you can find us at www.saltandsagebooks.com. And we're all over social media too. We sure are. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.